When you work on Kanye's first album, then for Calvin Klein, and then in ethical kids fashion, what's your natural next step? If you said designing your own amazing dresses, you'd be talking about the owner and creator of Mrs. Jones, Nicole Moss. This powerhouse woman thinks about every detail of the clothes that she's designing, from who manufactures them, to the quality of the fabrics that she uses, to the fact that she has pockets in her dresses, people. <laughs> pockets, they are key. <laughs> but most importantly, honestly, she's changing the viewpoint that black designers have to either be creating super high fashion or urban, heavy on the air quotes, street style. And she manages to drop pearls of wisdom along the way. So get ready to get your learn on. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that eases you into uncomfortable conversations about race, racism, and how to be more anti-racist. We're your hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. Okay, so I have to admit that I am super excited for the interview because I'm wearing your dress. I was just about to say, are you wearing the dress? Do you like it? How did it fit? Tell me the truth. Oh my gosh. No, it's great. Okay, so pockets are amazing. Anything with pockets. And I love it because... It's loose, so, but pretty, you know, like, and I feel feminine, but I don't feel like I'm trying too hard. And I have two boys who are elementary school age, so there's nothing about this that's like too tight or, you know, some kid trying to like grab onto my dress and pull the whole dress down, just hypothetically speaking, you know, but I love that you can wear this with sneakers. Like I saw the whole thing about Air Force Ones, which we'll get to in a second, which I taught Sarah about. But yeah, it's amazing. And you were totally right. Everyone was like, that dress is amazing. I wore it to Target because, you know, that's like high on my, this is the only place I go. It was great. Everyone was like, I got stopped by people. So I'm like, okay, it's amazing. So you were totally right. Yay, made. Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for supporting. But secondly, just like those words are the things that keep me going. The idea, when I sit down and I think about a dress, I don't think about how pretty it's going to be. I think about the mom with a kid on her hip, one pulling on her leg and the husband on the couch not doing shit. And how can she feel good? <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. Okay. Like this is, I was just on your website before this call and I'm like, there's another collection coming out. I can't wait. Seriously. I'm telling everyone. Okay. About this dress. Thank you. Well, that just makes me happy. And the idea that your kid can throw up on it and you can literally throw it in the washing machine and pull it out and keep it moving is like, I want every just to be feel like you're putting on your favorite old t-shirt, but a lot more chic. Yeah, I felt like we weren't in a pandemic for a hot second. (laughs) That's so awesome. And I mean, that's the whole thing, right? Like, when you put something on, it can change your mood in an instant. You know, and that's the whole goal is that when you go into your closet of all the million things that you could wear, if you can just pick something up that you feel confident and trust in, and you're like, this is going to check all the boxes that I need to feel today, I'm putting this on. Yeah, totally. So awesome. I'm going to cry. That really just, every time when I hear this from women, I pinch myself because I'm like, I'm really doing this and it's really making women feel good. Yeah. So that's awesome. Thank you. I'm humbled. No, I totally, and my kids were like, you're wearing a dress. And I'm like, I know I can wear a dress around you and it's not going to be a total hot mess. (laughs) So yeah, absolutely. Throw on some wedges and you can go out to dinner. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that once, I don't know, 2021, whenever that is. Right. Exactly. 
I already see our social media feed me, Sasha. When you we're done with this, you need to stand up and take a selfie, please, because I'm going to post this on our social media when this episode is released. I hate putting my face on social media. Oh, no. But it's a pretty face. You should do it. Listen, embrace it. I'll do it for the dress. (laughs) Social media has leveled the playing fields to where women are running shit. And so it is our responsibility to keep that momentum going. There are women right now who can support their families, who can now leave bad marriages and relationships because they're financially independent. Lean into it. Embrace it. Because there, I don't think there's been any other industry outside of fashion, and even that got ran by men, that women own. So put your face on social media. You're beautiful. Share yourself. <laughs> Do it for your sisterhood. You know, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the sisterhood. I'm with you on that. Okay, cool. So now that we jumped into the dress conversation and I'm like, so which one am I going to buy for myself? But anyway, Nicole, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Because I think by now they've gathered that you have something to do with this fabulous dress that Misasha is currently wearing. (laughs) Thank you. So my name is Nicole Moss, and I am soon to be 51. By the time this airs, I will be 51. Woman, mother of a 33-year-old daughter who's amazing, and I have the most bomb-ass husband on earth. I'm a very lucky girl. I am actually, my career started out in the music business. I started out working for Island Def Jam in marketing. So I was around during the heyday of Ja Rule, DMX, Jay-Z, Kanye West when he first started. I worked on his first album. And then um, I had always loved fashion. It just never left me the idea that we can put something on and it can transform how you feel and how the world views you. No matter what's going on internally, just was like, it was such a powerful thing to me. So I actually got into fashion production and PR working for Calvin Klein Collection for a while. And then I went over working into the largest kids clothing manufacturer where I helped produce so many kids garments in the world. And then I ended up going into wholesale working for a organic, sustainable kids line and with a stint at Freshly Picked and currently social media manager for a food brand. So that's me right now. Who's to say who I'm going to be like 2021? Because this is probably like the 10th iteration of what or who Nicole is at this point in life. So that's me. That's awesome. And what a journey going from like Island Def Jam through like Calvin Klein to kids to, you know, ethical fashion. And so, you know, because that's not the trajectory that I think anyone expects, but I love it because it's so it that all of that informs who you are and how you design and how you see things. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about the your move and transition, because I know you're so intentional with your designs and the materials. Like, how did you really get into ethical fashion and upcycling? Well, I was work when I worked for the kids clothing company, it was like, well, I've been very lucky in my career that I have been able to align myself with the best and the best in their field. And they've allowed me a front row seat to observe and watch and learn how they do things. So in some cases, you learn how not to do things. And in some cases, you learn how to do things. So you just kind of take those lessons with you and apply it to everything that you do. But in this particular case, after working for the kids clothing manufacturer and realizing I had been there for eight years and every year at the end of the year, we would go to our warehouses in LA and we had enough clothing to fill eight 
football stadiums, top to bottom of excess canceled orders and clothing that just went nowhere. And I was like, there has to be a better way. But then also, you know, when I worked for the organic and sustainable kids clothing line, organic is not easy to make. And it's the price point is what it is for a reason, because you're limited by the amount of our technical procedures that you can do to fabric. And then seeing that, but they were still designing, you know, a line and I'm using air quotes of like 30 to 50 pieces a season. Now, in reality, when we sold it, we only really had to make maybe 15 because that's how many, you know, there's hero styles. There's things that people gravitate to. But the idea of sampling 50, you know, 30 to 50 pieces and really only making 15 just seemed really wasteful to me. (laughs) And I was like, you know, who are you? Right? Like if you were to do this, but let me start this off by saying that I was not a design major at all. And what really kicked this off was I was on Matches Fashion and I was about to buy a cotton dress for $900. And I was like, how the hell is this dress $900? It should not be $900. So I was so pissed off that I was like, you know what? I'm going to go make dresses. And that's literally how this whole thing started. I said, there is a woman like me who's, you know, in the ages between 40 and 50 and fashion forgets us. We are just supposed to go to the monochromatic graveyard and die and, you know, adapt a uniform, if you will. And just like, you know, you cut your hair short. There's like these rules that society created about aging, but we're not in those days anymore. And there's no reason why those rules need to be upheld. So I wanted to create dresses that women like me who felt unseen in the space would want to wear. So I had a, you know, I had a very succinct criteria when I started this, I kind of reverse engineered design, if you will. So the dresses, A, needed to have pockets, B, needed to be, be able to worn with sneakers and heels or sandals or whatnot. C, they needed to be machine washable. D, they needed to come up. Well, so here's this thing no one's ever going to talk about publicly, but I'll talk about it. Menopause, that happens. And what's in such, I can wake up one day and be either five pounds heavier or five pounds thinner, depending on, you know, hormones, seasons, whatever, the universe, the moon has it. And there's no reason to have two wardrobes because your hormones are telling you that, you know, whatever. So I wanted to make sure that dresses would go up or down a size or two or three if you want for women, but also something that, like I said earlier, your kid can throw up on and you can machine wash. So these were kind of like my criteria. I was like, these are, who is my customer? Who am I? What do I need out of a dress? Right. And so that's kind of how I did this. So in doing so, I came up with the bodies and then luckily I live in New York. And in New York, there's designers everywhere. And so like, say like Oscar de la Renta makes a black cotton sateen, like the dress that you're wearing. And they don't like the shade of black that the bolt came out. Well, they sell it off. They've already purchased it from the factory. They've got to take it. They've already shipped it here from wherever it's coming from. So they sell it off to different jobbers is what they're called, you know, uh, middlemen, suppliers, and then they sell it off to different people. So I said, you know, being of a certain age, 51, I'm a fabric snob. 
There's no room in my life for rayon. There's no room. I mean, the only time I ever want to see Lycra is if I'm at the gym. <laughs> like, let's be honest. <laughs> and I'm absolutely 100% personally not down for wearing workout clothes as streetwear, that whole athleisure thing. It doesn't work for me because I'm not a size two. So I wanted to make things that, you know, were easy to wear, like your Lululemons, if you will. So that's how that kind of came about. But the fabrics are actually designer runoff discarded fabrics that I find in New York. And so right now you could potentially be wearing Jason Wu's fabric. And then the next collection actually is a De La Renta runoff. It's called Surf Africa. And for some reason, they didn't love this batch of beautiful cotton voile that they printed. So I was like, during the whole Black Lives Matter thing, when it came up big on social, you know, I was really inspired to go deep into my heritage and, you know, what fashion looks like for us. And I found this incredible surfing culture in Senegal. Who knew, right? There is a huge surfing culture in Senegal. And I, since getting on a plane right now and going to Senegal is virtually impossible. I was like in my head, well, for one, I love the ocean. For two, I love surfing. For three, I'm a black woman. So for these three worlds to collide was just like lotto for me. I said, what would I want to wear if I were blessed right now to go to Senegal and surf? What would I want to wear when I got out of the beach? What got out of the ocean? And so I made a really small capsule collection of a single dress and a beautiful tiered multi-layered skirt that is actually lined with cotton lycra, although I don't like lycra, but in this particular case, no one wants a tight skirt. So I made it to stretch back and forth with you when you move, when you're walking. So that's coming out. So that's really kind of how this whole thing started. Necessity is the mother of invention. And there's no reason why a dress, a cotton dress should ever cost $900 in my book. We have kids to feed and college to pay for. And you know, we have homes to take care of. And it doesn't mean that we should have to settle for fast fashion. And that was the other thing. A price point under $350 was key, which is one of the reasons why I don't wholesale. Because if I hold sales, that dress will quickly become 600 to $700. And, you know, then you start doing things that you don't love. That's not me. That's amazing to me that you can go from idea to then accrue, like, then you have the fabric and then you have the creation. Like, how long does something like that take? Because you just mentioned since Black Lives Matter. Three days. Three days? <laughs> what? I just, my jaw is like, uh, okay. Where are these clothes made? So that's from idea fabric. You can do the thing in three days. Then how long until it hits the shelves or not shelves, but like your website to, for sale? Usually about six to eight weeks. So I'm very lucky. So the dress that you're wearing is produced in the same factory. Well, let me start off by saying that I run a 100% women vertical. And out of that 100%, 90% of it is women of color. So when I started out, I had a really amazing factory in Guadalajara, Mexico, who was run by a woman, which there, very, there aren't very many. All of her workers were women. And she actually hired in Guadalajara trans and women who were ill with chronic illnesses like diabetes and cancer to the point where she had someone on staff who did nothing but administer medicine, their prescriptions to them at a certain point in the day, every day. Um, when they needed it, but also she had a chef on staff to make sure that they had their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
So I was very fortunate to come into this women's universe and she helped, she actually does a lot of swimwear and she helped me produce my first line, which was incredible. But she has gotten sick since then and I had to move things. So the dress that you're wearing right now actually is made in the same factory as Rosie Asseline and a couple of other people. So it is an Ecuadorian run woman owned factory. That's amazing. Like think about the intentionality that goes into it. And it's not like, oh, those are hard to find. I'm not going to do it. You obviously sought out places intentionally to make that happen. Absolutely. You know, that's the thing is like when you're writing a check on yourself, things do, you go about things differently, right? You, what is the point if it doesn't mean anything? You know, I always have this saying, like at the end of the day, I'm going to have this amazing life, but it really doesn't matter what I did for myself. It matters the impact that I left on the people that I left behind. Because those are the ones who are echoing, you know, the vibes, the goodness, or, you know, that lesson. So that's what really matters. So when I did, I did intentionally set out to do this for one is that fashion is now overrun by men. And the idea that men are telling women how and when they can dress with the, you know, advent of the fashion calendar and the seasons and all that other stuff. It just kind of bothered me. <laughs> and I didn't want to be mansplained to in my own company. Like, there's just never a reason for that. When you're a woman and you start your own business, it's a scary thing. And I think we typically do it, especially when you get over the age of 35 and you go out and you take that leap. You do it because of all the things that you don't want to deal with. And this was just kind of, you know, born out of all of that of, I had a very succinct checklist of what I wanted to deal with and what I didn't want to deal with. And it's more so to the point that I myself have, was a fashion editor for a magazine, for the Source magazine for a while, that now when I don't even produce my own shoots, I hire people and I step back because... I can maintain my space thinking about that dress that I can get turned out in, in three days, you know, and I stay in my lane in my own company. And I think that's really important is just because you can do everything doesn't necessarily mean that you should pick the things that you're good at and hire people. There's so many amazing, talented people running around in the, on this earth that just want to shot that, you know, give him a chance. Actually, the guy who shot my second collection, this kid, he is a student at FIT and I gave him his first shot on a first shoot with hair and makeup people and producing and stylists and the whole nine. And two weeks ago, this kid shot some big stills for some big rappers video just a year later because you just never know where people are going to go. You know, it's just an eye for talent and scout people the way you wish people scouted you give them a shot, you know, and that's what it really comes down to. Someone took a chance on me in Guadalajara, Mexico, and now here I am in New York. You're wearing my dress saying these amazing things. And it's that juice that women come to me and say, I got stuck in the street. And I was having a real shit day. But someone told me that I looked amazing. Despite however shitty I felt inside, someone thought I looked amazing and I was glowing through all my shit is totally worth it. I love that. I feel like there are like five different things that you said that I need to write down and just put on my wall like Sarah, you know, quotes behind me. So things Nicole said that I need to live by. Well, you know, the truth is, is none of us have had an easy life, right? You either die by fire or fly by fire, right? There are two types of people in the world and that's what it comes down to. And, you know, I had a choice at a very early age to either become the statistic. I was a mom at 18 
you know, so I had a very early on choice to become a statistic that they thought I could be or become more than what they thought I could ever imagine that they could imagine or myself could imagine. And it's one of the reasons why I like stay close to social media and whatnot is because you're only limited by what you don't know. And with a swipe, I can learn something I didn't even know existed, like a whole cult surfing culture in Senegal. And that can change the trajectory of what my vision is. And that's worth it. So I embrace that shit wholly, like bring it on. <laughs> I have two questions based on what you said, because yes, you were mother at 18 and you could have gone in so many different ways with that. You know what? But yet, I mean, I think for anybody becoming a mother is challenging, let alone when you're so young. So I think people who thrive in that scenario to make something with such a challenging scenario are either the exceptions or certainly have things that they can teach other people. What were some of the things that you think worked for you or what were some of the challenges of that? And also as, you know, challenges as a founder who is a woman of color? Awesome question. So here's the thing. I'm from Sacramento, California. And at the age of 12, one day I walked myself to the independent movie theater and I sat down and I watched my first Pedro Almodovar movie at 12. And I started reading, which was across the street from Tower Books, which is a great bookstore where I spent half my childhood. And I spent my childhood in Tower Books educating myself about the world. And I knew from that moment on that what was in front of me wasn't all there was to life. So I had always had this idea that I was going to have a big life. And having my daughter didn't prohibit me. It actually propelled me further forward because now I had a set of eyes watching me how to be bigger than what's in front of her. And to be honest with you, I had a village behind me. It wasn't easy, but I had an amazing village of family behind me that helped and that filled roles for her that I wasn't even smart enough to know that I didn't have, you know, thank God for that. Um, so, you know, in that particular case, I was in a very lucky position, but being in tune with yourself and knowing what you can't do and finding people that can is really the key to it. But being honest with yourself and saying, okay, I'm good at this. Let me stick to this, but I need this to get to here. So who can I surround myself with that brings this to the table? And it's reciprocal, right? Because I fill that hole for someone else. Someone else fills that hole for another person. And that is, to me, what being a woman in sisterhood is, because I've typically found that mostly that type of support coming through women, you know? So, you know, I've been very lucky in that aspect, but I'm sorry, what was your other question? Similarly, challenges as a Black, like, business founder. Oh, girl, listen, I just have two words for that. Tracy Reese. Listen, she's the GOAT. No question. In this particular day and age, think about how many women of color have you noticed in the space of mid-range dresses? Singularly, one. We are either streetwear in the eyes of fashion or we're really high-end couture. There really is no simple day dress space for women of color. So it's incredibly challenging. And because we're just not taken seriously when it comes to the word mass, you know, it's either, you know, small and or street or urban, which I hate that word <laughs> so much, you know, 
we've been pigeonholed by our color before we walk into a room. I always explain it to people like this. Imagine a boardroom and you're walking in to a, a room of 12 people for a meeting of your peers. But you know before you enter across that, thread, that door threshold that every single person in there thinks you are stupid. So while you're doing your presentation, you have to convince them that one, you can make progress in this business, but two, that you aren't stupid, you know, and not in that order, actually. So it's a double-edged sword. And so you literally, there's a saying that, you know, you have to work twice as hard to get, you know, the same as everybody else. And it's true. And it's no different here. And it's actually three times harder because I always think about it. I mean, no shade, but there's a lot of bad designers out there. <laughs> and they are making millions, you know, especially in the influencer space. Like, come on, you're really good at wearing other people's clothes, but I don't think you should be designing, you know, in that aspect. But, you know, it just comes down to that. But I just trust in the fact that I'm, you know, because I'm so intentional with all the designs and the way things look and who I'm making dresses for that. I will attract my like tribe and I trust in that. So I'm not really reliant on the machine of fashion. You know, I make capsules because I don't need to make 50 piece collections. I make capsules because not every woman my age is going to want everything that I design. You know, I make capsules because it's less waste into the environment and expense and, you know, Everybody thinks about, oh, well, you know, there's landfills full of clothes. No, you look at the landfill, it's full of dollar bills, literally. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time and energy. And I'd rather just make a few good things that I believe in that I literally like, I don't know about you, but when I find something like a great food or a restaurant, I go there every day night <laughs> until I can't take it anymore. And it's the same thing for fashion. You know, I find that one dress that summer and guess what? I'm wearing that sucker two or three times a week. And that's what it comes down to. You don't need a lot. You just need things that count, you know? And I think that's most important. And the bonus for me is that you know, I walk into my factory and, you know, I see these people sewing and working hard and they're able to support their families, especially in New York City, where the cost of living is a jillion times more than everywhere else, that I'm in a small, teeny, tiny way being able to let them sleep easier that night, you know? So that's really where it comes from, you know, because you think about you can either be what you didn't have and become what you didn't have. And hopefully you'll receive everything that you didn't have. Out of curiosity then, when you mentioned, because this is the second time you talked about like the football fields full of clothes that weren't like used and the landfill. And I know, like I can guess, but I want to hear from you. Like, why don't they use leftover clothes and give them to like homeless shelters or like to people who can actually use some clothing? They did, but when you're moving, it was almost a million units of production a month. So when you're moving that much, it's really hard to keep track of. So that's why we did it at the end of the year. And at the end of the year, we did donate masses of clothes. Okay. To shelters. So it didn't just go to waste, but the real, you know, that's curing the symptom, but the real illness in the place was having all this wastage in the first place. And I, just the visual of that 
is so astounding. I mean, because you think about fast fashion and you think about, and I think, you know, it's kind of like using Amazon people sort of justify, you know, I'll just buy this or this is easy and I'll go back to being focused on, you know, being more intentional. And I think it just, you don't even think about it. And if everyone is thinking the same way too, then you've got, you know, your eight football fields worth of clothes for, you know, one brand. And that is just... Yeah, especially when we're thinking about looking at a global worldview going forward. And speaking of global things and issues, you know, we just talked about some of the challenges, you know, that you faced both personally and as a black female founder. But now we've got a whole host of challenges in 2020 that we didn't have before. Like we have a global pandemic. We have, you know, our other pandemic in this country where everyone is now focused on the systemic racism that has been plaguing our society for, you know, hundreds of years. And so I was wondering what, if any, impact, you know, these events have been having on your business, your outlook, really anything, your marketing. Well, I will say this as a woman of color, being faced with adversity is not anything new. So we are kind of conditioned, you know, when they say check on your strong friends or black women are so strong, like we're not stronger. We've just endured so much more. That doesn't make us stronger. It just makes us more resilient, which isn't necessarily strong, right? So this, what's going on right now with the pandemic, it has affected my business in a way, in a good way, if you will, because people are now in social media more, which is my main form of getting the word out about, you know, Mrs. Shop, Mrs. Jones. And so people are on it a lot more, but also I'm being recognized by women like yourself who now I would have never come across the radar because, you know, the great thing is, is people had to pick a side. And so you can either be on the wrong side of history or the right side of history. And people are acknowledging that they weren't doing as much as they potentially could have been doing. And so surrounding me is a bunch of great women who are stepping up and shouting from the rooftops and fully supporting. So in that aspect, it's been really good. But the downside of it is that, you know, nobody's going anywhere to buy, to wear a dress or whatnot. But this is a temporary thing or this could be real life and we're just going to have to work around it right like as long as there is an earth still standing we can make it work for sure we're going to have to we are thrivers we are givers of life and to stop life over this is just virtually like no one can wrap their head around that it's never going to happen so it's just going to take for all of us to come together and figure out what that new norm is going to be like and to be honest with you a couple years ago I had breast cancer and I had chemotherapy and a full-blown mastectomy so I'm actually seven years out so rebirth and reassessing how I move in this world is not really a new language for me So, you know, you go through things for a reason, I like to think, and I went through that cancer. One, I was very fortunate that I was young enough to fight it and still be strong and have a strong, healthy life. But two, it was an emotional wake-up call to live in the now. And the one thing I know for certain is COVID or no COVID or, you know, 45 or no 45, I am not guaranteed tomorrow. So when I wake up every morning, I tell myself, no one's telling you you're sick today. You don't have a reoccurrence. Today could be your last day. How did you live it? One day, literally at a time. I only think about the next 24 hours because there is no what if. 
what if is a luxury. <laughs> it's luxury thinking because you know what? One day I woke up and I was fine. And the next day somebody was telling me I wasn't. You know, so there, what if already happened, you know, and there's no amount of knowing that something's going to happen that can prepare you for the struggle or pain that you might endure. The only thing that I can control in this situation is the support group that I have around me. If something really does go left in life, that's it. And I really focus on, you know, quality over quantity. And, you know, I'm very lucky. My daughter is the bomb. Like no mom could be any more proud or lucky how their kid turned out. She is beautiful. She is smart. She has a big heart. She loves to laugh. And she is really cognizant of who she is as a woman in this world. And she showed me very early on who she was. And I'm lucky that I got to watch her grow up to be 33. I'm very lucky. And so, you know, I never forget that. And I bring that with me every day because there's women out right now who are struggling who don't know if they're going to see their kids grow up. And, you know, for me, I'm at peace. She's fine. You know, she's good. She's a great human being. She's contributing to this world in a major way. And she didn't need my help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how lucky can I be? And then my husband, my God, like, holding my hand and driving me through every chemo appointment and icing down cold caps. So I wore these caps where I could keep my hair, you know, and honestly, the biggest thing he did for me is after the mastectomy is he didn't let me look at myself any differently. When I felt at my lowest and like, oh man, I'm all butchered up and hacked up or whatever. And, you know, he was like, absolutely not. Did they take your brain out? Did they take your spirit out? Did they take your soul out? He's like, yeah, no, babe, you're good. I'm good. You're good. As long as you're alive, we can work with that. And that was, you know, I was very lucky that he took on the burden of my mortality where I didn't have to. All I had to do was just look at the clock and get through it. So, you know, it's all of these things that add up. And if you just realize that it's not being done to you, that it's being done for you, it helps you take a step back and get a real good vision on what you can do next. So that brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> I am noticing that in a time when I find so many people are afraid. I mean, people were afraid before COVID came out. People were, I mean, our society was wired for us to be so scared about what's going to happen. Your perspective and your energy is so clearing and feels like the right way. When you th think about the right way or the wrong way to choose to live your life, though, to be on this side of history, that feels like that's the sustainable model for living life and building business and making a difference. Were you born this way? Were you, did something happen? Like how does, how can I have what you have? <laughs> I will keep it 100. I am Carol's daughter, Carol being Carol, my mother, single mom, three kids who actually spent the first 11 years of her life in a concentration camp in this country. So I come from a survivalist model of parenting. My mom is the most incredible human being that I know to the point at the age of 74, she ran four polling stations her last election and has raised over $20 million for the state of California mental health care system because she herself was in the system being bipolar and struggled that she took that experience and she helped others who to not have to go through it. And here I am over here making dresses. <laughs> so, you know, 
know what I mean? Complete dichotomy. But I come from a background where lemonade was regularly on the table despite what was happening. You know, you'd never let anything really get you down, down, because tomorrow is another day. You can either fight, flight, or lay down, you know, and my mom was not a lay down person. She struggled a whole lot, but she always made it about others for her. And that's was her gas in her tank. And I kind of adopted some of that as well. But, you know, so I don't really, I can't say it's strength or outlook. I think I was hardwired that way from day one. She hardwired me that way. Just because based on her upbringing, you know, growing up in this country, you know, in a concentration camp, being a Japanese woman, you know, at Tule Lake and, you know, the youngest, which is a big deal in Asian families, you know, being the youngest and having to endure what she had to endure. And then my father on the black side, you know, being, I was not Asian enough for one side and I wasn't black enough for the other side. So I have learned to be by myself since day one, you know, never being really, you know, accepted either or. So, you know, yeah, I always knew life could be amazing. You know, it's, that's the joy, right? Like, no one got you down today or someone said you look pretty or you smiled at someone and they smiled back at you. It's these little moments. Joy isn't an ongoing consistent thing. It's, it's moments. So I've been very lucky despite everything that I've had tons of moments of joy. It's because I defined what joy was. It wasn't a big house. It wasn't a big title. It wasn't a big car. It wasn't anything like that. It was my effect on other people and how that resonated and echoed throughout their lives and how they handed it down. You know, my biggest legacy will be hopefully something I said to someone, you know, that's what I hope, you know, because honestly, if you go through struggles and you don't share it with people, it will eat you inside. So talk about it with people freely, share what you've been through, speak and own your joy and your pain. And therefore it doesn't own you. It's kind of just my approach. It just kind of makes sense, right? Just own it before it owns you. Not to say that I haven't had my dark moments in life because I'm human. I've had them, but they were shorter than the joyful moments. That's for damn sure. <laughs> I love that also because it's throughout this entire conversation, so much of it has been about community. And Misasha and I always talk about like, let's see the humanity in this scenario. Let's see the humanity in people's stories. Let's stay connected. Like, relationships are the cornerstone of our long-term health and happiness. And from all that you're sharing, that has always been and has remained a cornerstone of your life and priorities. So I am who I am for the women that made me, not for anything else. And that's the thing, like, when I look at things in the news and politics and whatnot, it's really funny how a lot of, you know, what's happening in Washington is run by men, people who don't give life. And we're expecting them to have an appreciation for life when they've never given it, which just boggles my freaking mind. No question. So I really do feel that women are going to gear us into the right direction and save what's left of this country. I do believe that it's because we do know how to commune. And as a woman of color, you know, one of the things that happens in our culture is that we commune in times of crisis. And that's really what Sunday church is all about, is that it's a time to commune with your elders and your family and your neighbors and whatnot. And 
it's something that we've historically have always done. Not having a huge community growing up, it was just me, my mom, and my brothers, is it was something that I wanted as an adult was to have a big community behind me because I saw how well people thrived in that environment. Despite, you know, think about it, in times of slavery on Sundays, you know, we had the day off because they let us commune and go to church. And we still thrive throughout those circumstances. So if history tells us that this works, being alone doesn't work. (laughs) You know, we are meant to be, you know, part of a unit or a community or attached to something or someone that's more important or bigger than ourselves. And that's really what it comes down to. And like I said, you know, having my daughter at 18 really, 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 you know, honed down my tunnel vision of where I wanted to be in the path that I had to take to get there. You know, it wasn't easy for her or for me. And thank God she like still loves me and respects me. Cause I mean, think about it. Like your mom works at Island Def Jam and she was on tour a lot. And, you know, there was a lot of perks that came with it for her, but you know, it wasn't your normal upbringing as, you know, carpooling and things like that. And, to mention that I look younger than what I am and, you know, going into parent-teacher meetings and being disrespected by older white teachers and having to deal with that sort of thing. It wasn't easy on her. So, you know, I'm very lucky that we got to this point and she is who she is, but you know, that's the thing. Nothing's easy. Don't make it worse. (laughs) Hold your head up high, do everything with intention and turn off the noise. I live in New York, and if I were noise sensitive, I would never get anything done because there's so much static. But to be able to almost be in a meditative state about your character and your personality and what energy that you put out all the time is the real strength in life for me. It's like I can hear things and I'm listening, but a lot of it doesn't affect me. I can see why Vanessa was like, Nicole drops just moms of wisdom on you. And so speaking of Vanessa, I want to ask, and speaking of community too, you know, you're part of Doe. And so I wanted to find out how'd you join? Why'd you join? What was that like? How have you, what's been the Doe experience for you? was on social media I found them and I signed up and they accepted me like within a week and it's just been they have been I can't even what is the word to describe Doe? they are a goddamn unicorn no question about it because they are championing women from inception we talk about intention but this is their sole mission you know it was people first profits later We'll figure out the rest later. And they have, I got into your stratosphere with them and a couple of other people's stratosphere with them. And they have just championed me from day one. And ironically, here's the thing, like, I'm really good at the design part, I like to think, but I'm really bad at the self-promotion part of it all. Horrible. I would rather, it's a very uncomfortable space for me. It's ironic as a Leo that I would not want to be in the spotlight, but I absolutely am not really comfortable standing there doing it or saying, hey, this is me. That's just not my character. I'd rather let the work show for itself. So when you get stopped on the street, then that kind of, you know, works for itself. But me standing there saying it is really an awkward place for me. But they have just been huge supporters in every way to so many women, especially women of color. 
there has never been a platform that has come out and say, hey, we want you to be a part of our community. We are seeking women like you to be a part of our community. And this is what DOE is comprised of, which is amazing. And I really hope that they blow up. I really hope that women support their platform and all the brands, the incredible women-run brands that are on their platform, because you're not just buying, you know, a candle. You are helping a woman keep her kid in school or food on the table. You're keeping a woman in a place where she can earn money for herself so she doesn't and raise and be fully invested in her parenting because she's not worried about the boss. You know, it's much more than just tangible items. It is creating a whole network of women who are going to go on to support other women, which to me is just like, I'm, they're a unicorn. Like those women, Vanessa, I love them. Like they are just, it's what every company should model, strive to model to be for sure, without question. You know, God, I hope they get bigger than Amazon. Because that means that's more women out there who are doing it for themselves, who are, you know, that's the thing. When you're doing it for yourself, and and we talk about independence a lot, like, it has a lot to do with relationships, right? There's equilibrium and a balance of scales and everything, and the idea that a woman can be financially independent completely balances the scales within their relationship. And therefore, less horrible things to women can happen. And that's the main thing. Like, own your shit run your business, be who you are and you're going to be in your life. Someone is going to find you and love you just as you are because shit, if the crap can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. (laughs) You know, I met my husband on a subway, random subway. So you just, you never know. So, you know, don't be afraid to embrace all parts of you, including your dark passenger and make it work for you. And that's the thing, like you said it earlier, that everyone is afraid. So why are we afraid of interacting with people who are already in a place, coming from a place of fear? It's what I want to know. Don't fear that. Know that. I can meet you where you are. And that's one of the things that happened with COVID, I like to think, is that right now, the whole entire world is dealing with PSTD. I can meet every single person where they're at right now because I'm dealing with it too, you know, in a way. So at some point, no matter what race you are, no matter your status in life, we are all on an equal playing ground right now. So that's kind of a, you know, there's good with everything, even if it's bad. I really am, you know, the amount of people that have died is just horrific. But at the same time, there's a lot of people right now who are thriving, And there's a lot of people who are now being more awoken about, you know, how they're moving in this world and who they want to be. And so people are making changes that probably needed to be changed. So that makes me happy. Embrace change. It's good. Did I ever tell you about my little oval? No. Okay. So if you were to, someone taught me this and this changed my life. So if you took a piece of paper and you drew a circle in it and you put two lines to make three parts and you wrote panic at the top, comfort in the middle, stretch at the bottom. So there's three parts and one says panic, stretch, and comfort. So these are the three places that we live in life. You're either in your comfort zone where you're chilling Netflix and chills and, or you're in, you know, the panic zone where everything's frenetic and you probably have a panic attack and the world's coming to an end. And then there's the stretch zone. So the stretch zone is like, you guys ever do yoga or Pilates or stretch before a run? How does it feel? little bit uncomfortable, but not 
crazy. Yeah, good and challenging, I think. Okay. I love that you use those words. So the stretch zone is where things, it's a little uncomfortable, nothing crazy. There's a challenge, but you got this. You feel confident in this space. So comfort zone, what happens when you're in your comfort zone? To gain 15 pounds. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) That too. Yeah. Word. I'm on 10 now, but you're, nothing's moving. Everything's stagnant. And then when you're panicked, how do you feel? Like me, I'm sweating. My heart is racing, that sort of thing. So the real trick in life is that you don't live between your panic and your comfort. The trick is to spend more time in the stretch zone because that's where things are moving and that's where things happen. So if you feel uncomfortable in life a lot, it's because you're in the stretch zone and things are growing. So embrace that uncomfortableness because it's there to help you. Thanks for writing the pitch for our podcast that is all about having uncomfortable conversations about race, racism, and identity. Appreciate that. (laughs) Welcome. So, but someone taught me this and I use this honestly in my life and in my marriage as well. So if my husband's upset about something, because you know, men don't like to talk about their feelings too often, is that I can identify which part of these zones he's at and I can meet him in the place where he is to better have communication with him. Or if I'm with myself and I can figure out where I am in this, you know, chart of things, it's like, okay, well, I'm in the panic zone and I know that it's temporary or that it's just a space and it's not really real. And then I just have to let it pass. Or if in my comfort zone, I notice, okay, You've been sitting here too long. This is getting too comfortable. You got to get your ass up and go do something. That's when I'm like, you know, I get up and start to, you know, get involved in my life. That's great. Yeah, I share that with everyone because I really think that it's the most free, helpful tool because a lot of what we go through is like not knowing where it's coming from. I reverse engineer everything. It's a bad habit. But then also so many people are afraid of uncomfortableness, of discomfort, I should say. And so many people think that some pain or some stress is bad, but really that middle ground, as long as you're not catapulted into panic zone, Mm -hmm. is actually probably the healthiest place to be. And if that becomes a norm, as opposed to utter comfort and being in your bubble and unaware and not moving... You know, if we get more into that middle zone, we're a little bit of stress. That's what helps make us function best. Yes. That's important to get comfortable with that. Absolutely. You know, your emotional well-being is, needs to be worked out like your physical well-being. You know, one can lend itself to the other, but one is actually more important than the other. You know what I mean? Because if you're in the stretch zone, you're working out. Because I personally hate working I do it. I mean, cardio people, I listen, mad respect. The idea of running on a treadmill going nowhere just (laughs) boggles my mind, (laughs) but mad respect because the amount of mental intensity that it takes to focus to be there. I wish that I had it, but you're absolutely right. But the stretch is where we all want to be emotionally and physically, you know? So if it feels a little uncomfortable, you're in the right space, baby. Keep going in that direction. And that's kind of like my barometer for life. That's how I know how I'm going. If it feels uncomfortable, I'm on the right path. If it feels comfortable, get off that path. If it's making me stressed out and panic, close the door. Don't answer the phone. Don't respond to the text. And that's as simple as that. I can control it. At that point, I'm not really worried about how the depression on the end of that feels, you know. If it's causing me distress, who welcome, who invites, who willingly goes into a distress situation? 
life will do that for you. You don't need to volunteer yourself for tribute. Like, you'd be all right. Nothing to follow that with. I feel like, you know, I, I need to draw this oval and, like, put it up in multiple places in my house, especially in my makeshift first grade classroom and my makeshift third grade classroom for the fall. I don't know how you guys are doing teaching at home, homeschooling. My God, big ups to every woman right now who's working from home and homeschooling. I mean... If anybody won 2020, it's you, it's you guys. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine. But, you know, at the end of the day, when this is all over, when you look back, you did it. So when just some asshole at work is telling you some shit you don't want to hear, man, listen, I got through 2020 working from home and homeschooling. What in the hell can you possibly tell me? Nothing. Remember that. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely, we will. Anything else that we have left out? No, you guys, listen, from the bottom of my heart, I'm incredibly grateful to be able to come on here and share what my experiences are with you guys and your listeners. It gives my life purpose and meaning because now all of those little things that I fucked up or, you know, (laughs) made mistakes or whatever, now they mean something and that's good for me. And I hope that it's good for you. That's it. You guys were awesome. So thank you. I really, really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart, from the support for, you know, with Shop Mrs. Jones to sharing with me how you felt when you put on the dress to giving me this space. I'm incredibly grateful and I can't wait for the day where I'm in a space to give another woman the same platform. Well, for our listeners who want to find you and get their own amazing dresses so they can feel like they're just killing it at Target like I did, um, where can they find you? I have a website. It's called Shop Mrs. Jones. It's shopmrsjones.com. And you can find me on Instagram at shopmrs.jones. Someone already took Shop Mrs. Jones, so I had to make it work. Awesome. So I hope you guys can follow or give a like because comments and likes are currency. It helps me get out there. And it's not just helping me, but remember it's helping other women in factory workers and fabric suppliers, photographers, stylists. It's helping all of them. I'm actually planning the next shoot now. So I don't know if this is going to air before September, but I am looking for, you know, stylists and photographers. So follow me on Instagram and hit me up. That's awesome. Thank you, Nicole, for your time today. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful week. If you love what you're hearing, subscribe to the Dear White Women podcast so you don't miss any of our anti-racist, identity-affirming episodes released every Wednesday. Shows that seek to show that we as humans rise by lifting others. Support our Patreon, which allows us to keep making work that highlights different narratives that help us broaden our horizons, including a new monthly virtual community centered around book studies. Want to follow us on social media? We're at Instagram and Facebook at Dear White Woman Podcast, and we're on Twitter at DWW Podcast. And of course, we'll be sending out vital info and opinions via email, which you can sign up for on our website, www.dearwhitewomen.com. Thanks for being part of the conversation.